You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Swana, who is also a long-term listener of the Effective Statistician. Maybe you are also one of these and maybe at one point in time you also will become a guest. So head over to LinkedIn and connect with me. And if you have a great topic, then, you know, just suggest it to me. Today we are talking about something that is really important for lots of our statisticians and that many actually want to do work more strategically. So in this podcast, you will learn about ways to think and act more strategic. And now the music. In terms of Swana, I really stepped over her through the podcast, of course, but also I stayed connected through LinkedIn. And she's also posting there and sharing content that helped others to grow as well. And if you do this as well, you'll come up with other great opportunities. For her, it was a really nice opportunity to be on this podcast. Um, for you, maybe it's your next job and you can find your, you know, maybe your next supervisor finds you on LinkedIn or a recruiter that works for your next supervisor finds you on LinkedIn. So become a LinkedIn member and then you can easily connect with me as well. So just search for my name and the effective statistician and you can join and follow me there. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. So welcome to another episode uh, and today we are talking about something that is, well, a couple of things that are really close to my heart. Uh, one is real-world evidence. I've uh, worked with in this area for nearly 20 years and the other thing is also more kind of strategic thinking and working more strategically. I'm Yeah, I'm trying to push other people to do that for quite some time as because at some point in my career, I really got a little bit of a, of a sense of it. And this kind of flavor was so sweet that I wanted to get much more of it. With that, I have a really nice guest today who's also a listener of the podcast herself. How are you doing today? Hello, Alex. Yes, I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And yes, I do listen to your podcast. Every time a new episode comes out, I'm there. <laughs> It's awesome. It's great to, to have a listener here. So uh, maybe you can start by introducing yourself a little bit and then what your career has been up to now. Sure. So um, my name is Swarna Kare, and I am the uh, currently the Real World Evidence Manager for uh, Novartis Pharmaceuticals in the UK. And um, basically, I'm a statistician, uh, as you would expect by, by training. So I've been a statistician for almost 
uh, almost coming up to nine years now. Um, so I started off as an academic research statistician. Um, I worked at Imperial College in the public care, primary, primary care and public health department. Then I moved into London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So mortality modeling, morbidity modeling related to climate change. So very interesting projects all through academia. So I spent about five, five and a bit years in academia. And then I spent about two years in a CRO environment in a company called Almac Diagnostics uh, based in Northern Ireland. And uh, that was my first brush with sort of CRO, CDM. It was a very early stage assay validation kind of work, uh, genetic data analysis, all of that. And um, somewhere in, in between, I also spent approximately one year in an international development consultancy as well. So that, that's a company called Coffee, Coffee International Development. And they sort of work with um, sort of war zone countries, um, analyzing data from there about impacts of different government interventions. So for example, in Nepal, post earthquake, uh, any kind of health intervention that was made, how do you measure pre and post? So very different kind of work, but my first sort of introduction to consultancy uh, world, mm -hmm. which, um, yeah, but then, uh, so but it's always been as a statistician and this real world evidence manager role uh, is very new, not even a full year in it, although I feel like I've been doing it for a while, but um, just coming up to about one year. Uh, in this very eventful year. That's really interesting. So you started your career as a pretty typical statistician. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, with, with your university, academic background, zero type of work. Yeah. And now you're in real-world evidence, in a function called real-world evidence. And yes. your job title isn't statistician anymore. So no. um, why did you change? So I think that's that's a good question. That was deliberate. Uh, I wanted to sort of move out, not because I did not enjoy doing statistics anymore or the kind of work was, I mean, that's something I used to live for, you know, uh, figuring out a code that works faster, you know, that was just, that would make my highlight of the day, you know, there was something like that. I figured out a new method that I could apply with completely new R codes. So that was something that I really, really was passionate about. But I think my um, decision to sort of move into this other arena uh, was, as I was saying, it was to do more with understanding how the business works rather than just my little uh, field of data analysis and, uh, you know, understanding data and methodologies. I actually wanted to understand how business works as a whole. Um, and basically, I mean, I had no idea because every company that I had been everywhere, and even in academia, it was just sort of within, within that little realm of stats. And that's about it. So my world began and ended within, you know, data cleaning, data analysis, production of a small report, and that was about it, or a model or something, or, and ended in publications. So for me, although that work was really fulfilling, I just needed to understand where that work actually adds value. It was more to do with my inspiration for going to work. So initially, that is how it started. So I thought maybe, you know, if I start transitioning out of a stats, pure stats role, maybe I can, um, you know, understand how these, uh, how the whole business fits together. So For me, it was essential that I understand how market access works, how medical affairs work, how patient access work, and where they use stats, basically, because, you know, you never hear about that. So, yeah. So, why couldn't you learn about this within stats? 
Yeah, that's that's a good point. Because I, I think it's because it's it's got to do with our training, isn't it? We spend so much time, so much resource just perfecting our technical skill that we tend to ignore all of the other things. So, you know, although uh, I, I remember there was a time when, you know, people would invite me to sort of larger strategic meetings, you know, with, with other sort of heads of different departments. And I would just, you know, because I would not understand anything and I would not you know, be sure about what is it that they were talking about because it was business as a whole. I would just get bored and I, was, I would think, oh, you know, this is not important. We need to focus on the technical. We need to focus on the details. And I think because I spent so much resource of my own time and effort, understanding stats, reading as many journals, my day would start with reading journals with a book uh, on stats or something, something that I didn't know about, maybe, you know, reading up a little bit more about some new R package that came out. I just never spent the time understanding business. And then you reach a point where you really need to ask, where did all that effort go? So when the business did get employed in the end. So I think that's one thing as statisticians, we don't appreciate what's going on outside, uh, you know, a technical environment. So that's really interesting. You know, I, I, I think lots of us, uh, in the space and you know I, I was exactly like that in the beginning of my career as well yeah so I was give me the data and I'll do everything about it and you know yeah. tweak and find out everything and apply the most fanciest method whatsoever yeah. oh yes <laughs> <laughs> I know that and, yeah <laughs> and I also had no clue of was it now adding values that I did this or was that, you know, useless or yeah. I was trained in terms of thinking, is it, you know, compliant with the SOPs and is it the right statistical technique? And exactly. Kind of things. But I never understood really, okay, does that now move the needle or mm -hmm. is this just another kind of appendix of an appendix that no one will ever look into? Yes, that's exactly and, right. And so when did you realize that, that, that you really needed to understand more? I think, I think it came with the realization that um, although I think it's great to be a technical statistician, great to be a programmer, I think there's a natural organic you know, route. If you don't start expanding your horizons, you're, there's serious risk that you become bucketed in that role. and. Yeah. How far does that role take you? It depends uh, on a lot of things. It depends also on luck, on the company that you're in. But, you know, there's a, there's a natural organic ceiling, you know, which beyond that, if you don't understand the business, you're not going to grow. So for me, I think I was getting a little bit because I don't have a PhD. So my plan was that I'll do an MSc, which I did in, um, in statistics and take that forward. So, you know, not be a completely academic uh, statistician, but sort of understand uh, applied statistics. So for me, I think in academia, it became clear that if I don't do a PhD, there's a natural organic ceiling. You cannot go beyond that. And in business, it was becoming sort of, I was coming dangerously close to that ceiling as well. Um, to the point where, you know, I was not satisfied just doing the programming, just doing the data analysis. And I kind of knew that somewhere in the back of my mind that if I don't move quickly now, I'm going to become bucketed in this role that I'll, I'll just be seen as a statistician, as a programmer who gets 
data dumped on her last minute. Oh, you know, we need to do this shadow analysis. You know, can you quickly do this? Because people don't understand how much time effort it takes. Mm -hmm. So I think that was frustrating at, at a point. So I was like, you know, they need people need to understand where stats adds value. But I for that I need to understand business first. So for me, I think it was becoming close. It was become it was coming close to the realization that this was coming to a ceiling. Uh, so which is why it was like a move quickly. <laughs> So you realized that, you know, what you brought you here won't bring you to the next step. So yes, basically, yes. You know, and that, that's, I think, is quite typical. Yes, yeah? so you said, you know, you have worked a long time in your kind of comfort zone, and now you realized you need to step out outside of this comfort zone. Yes, that's it. And it's a nice comfort zone, isn't it, with stats? Because there's there's a point where you reach and you know, you know, you, you become the technical expert, isn't it? So, yeah, you're exactly right. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah and I completely agree. There's this ceiling effect within stats as well. Yeah, so at a certain point, I think there's, well, if, if you're in a really big company like, you know, Novartis or GSK or whatever, you can probably have kind of pseudo academic career paths, yeah, where you end up in some kind of methodology group and then you're yeah. heading there. But there probably you, you know, people also look for a lot of, you know, academic background and yes. then things like this. Or you become maybe go into this managerial role, yeah, yeah. So start to kind of. Yeah, you're a supervisor and then a supervisor of supervisors and you yeah. become basically an administrative leader. Yeah, true. And I think the third way is you become a really, I would say, street smart statistician. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. That knows all the kind of stats topics, yeah. but is also really good on the business side and yeah. understands how to how the company works how to work with people, how the kind of molecule fits into the bigger picture of the, mm -hmm. you know, of the market, but also of the bigger pipeline. If oh, yes. You know, yeah. So these kind of things are then really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, this is this is where the, the thing with statisticians is, isn't it? Where we, we don't know all of these things are essential, especially team working, I think, because you're so used to being an individual contributor. You, you've, you've, you know, you don't think about the importance of the team. So, you know, yeah, exactly. And value creation, value delivery, exactly like you said, you know, where does the molecule fit? Where does the compound go? So, yeah, that's, that's 100% right. So in our kind of chat leading up to this uh, <laughs> interview, we talked a lot about working more strategically. So mm -hmm. what, what does that mean for you? Right. So I think strategic working for me is pretty much in contrast to what statistical working means for me. So for me, statistical working is fairly, like I said, you know, scientific, technical, rigorous methodology, and it ends there, you know. And that's about it. For me, strategic, strategic thinking just goes a little bit beyond that. Not even a little bit, actually, fairly beyond that. But for me, I think the biggest thing is value. Like value, where does, where does value get created? How do you deliver that value? And how do you sell that value? Because ultimately, every, every business that we work for is a business. It's there for profit or, you know, unless you're working for a charity. But then again, their goals are different. Um, so for me, it was all about understanding the business value that was being created. 
buy any new offering, buy any kind of product, any kind of inline brands, whatever the farmer has, but was understanding value, which as a statistician, I did not understand or care about, to be honest. It was just like, you know, I care about my work. And as an individual contributor, that was enough. Um, so for me, strategic thinking goes beyond um, just just that. But also, apart from value, I think it's it's one thing, it's also um, essential is to understand the importance of the team. So stra- strategic thinking means also to me, thinking about how the team is thinking. So mm-hmm. everybody is there from different functions. Everybody is the flag bearer for the different functions. And I think if you're there as just a statistician, you're doing exactly that. So you're just, you know, sounding the horn for stats and methodology um you do you sometimes not you do not focus on what the other people are bringing to the table and i think that's that's where the strategic thinker will think what is everybody else bringing so everybody is part of a large team rather than you know working in silo so for me those are the two things understanding value creation delivery selling and um understanding the team uh, and the team dynamics what is everybody bringing and where can you add value to what they are bringing yeah. And I think for me, that's, yeah, that's strategic thinking. I, you know, in terms of this, the second thing, being a real team member and not a, a delegate from statistics hmm. is a big mindset shift. Oh, yes. so I've learned about that first from someone that was working in early phase. And she basically said to me, um, I'm a drug developer that happens to be a statistician right and that is a very very different kind of mindset to have because it basically means you can have an opinion and and contribute to lots of things not just the design of the study or the analysis of the study you can have okay what is actually the problems that we want to solve here is that, you know, do we need to have a drug set is working faster or is it that a drug set is working with less side effects or do we need a more effective drug or is, you know, what is the profile set where, where we need to get to? Yeah, yeah. So maybe an early phase or maybe in late phase, it's more about, okay, how do we, you know, how do we optimally kind of launch the drug Yes. In terms of balancing time, money, differentiation versus uh, competition, yeah. um, all these different aspects. What is the mm-hmm. kind of you know, you know, what is the questions that we really want to a- answer? Yes. Um, to really understand this question deeply, then kind of think, okay, what are now the you know, these big initiatives, so, so yeah. to say strategic priorities that, mm-hmm. that we need to put in there. And exactly. then what are then all the action items? Yes. Yes. There's like a bridge, isn't it? So like, for example, I remember when I had started as a statistician, this is when I was a statistician and say like, you know, we were looking at, let's say a drug or something. And my first question was always, you know, what is the efficacy? What's the safety profile? You know, can we do a study on adverse events? So I would have all these ideas coming from like, you know, data perspective. This is the kind of data you can get. I was never focused on why we need to do an adverse event study, why we need to do an efficacy study when a drug is already launched, for example. So for me, that's, that is exactly how you put it. You're, you know, a drug developer with, 
who happens to be a statistician. For me, it was always, I'm a statistician who happens to work in this industry. So it was always yeah. data questions, you know, efficacy, adverse events, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, what's the population, blah, but never understood why we need to do that. So I think that little piece was missing which in this current role, I'm starting, I can't say I understand it fully, but, you know, it's starting to sort of fit into like a nice picture now. It's slowly becoming uh, clearer. The fog is lifting, as I say. <laughs> yeah. In terms of strategies, there's an interesting book that I recently read. It's called um, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. Wow. I okay. can highly recommend it. It's, for me, it was eye-opening in a couple of different ways. So first, yeah. of course, it helped really to, I always has had only this kind of, let's say, diffuse thinking about what is strategy. Mm. And this book has helped me to much better kind of put it into, you know, meanings. Yeah. So, so in terms of, in this book, it also speaks about the kernel of the strategy. And the kernel of strategy always has these, You know, what's the question that yeah. you're really trying to answer? Uh -huh. And just, and that is already quite difficult. Um, then the second is what are the strategic kind of, you know, guidelines or, or pillars that, that uh, come from this question uh, mm -hmm. to solve it? And then what is the, the action zero? Right. Zero. Yeah. So, so it has these kind of, yeah, hierarchy and, For me, that's a, it's a really nice frame to think about strategy. Yeah. That is. I've, I've got a note of the book, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find it on my Kindle or something, and I'm going to read this. It looks, this, this is really interesting. The book that I kind of read, just because none of the, you know, the corporate world was making any sense to me, um, it's called The, um, the Personal MBA uh, uh, by Josh Kaufman. Have you heard of it? Nope. It's, uh, it's, it's got everything that they'll teach you in a business school. So my, uh, you know, grand idea at one point in the past was that I'd go to a business school, you know, figure out business. But then I looked at the, the school fee, uh, the MBA fee, and I thought um, it's in hundreds of thousands. I can buy a house with that money. So it just kind of, uh, that, that's not going to happen. And I just don't think that there's, you know, the biggest, the best teacher is experience, isn't it? So the more you put yourself out there, the more you learn. And I have myself, I mean, I've just been surprised with myself how quickly I have learned corporate, uh, you know, value creation and things like that, then much faster than I ex expected. So, yeah. yeah. So in terms of when you, you know, made the jump uh, to going into real world evidence, what did you do to prepare for that? Because, you know, it's, I would say it's quite a big step for many statisticians. Yeah. And I think... As a, let's say, as a community, we are, I would say, a little bit risk averse. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. also pretty introverted. And yeah. that seems to be a really big, scary move to move out of kind of the, the family of statisticians. Yes, it, it was a very scary move. It still is. It's coming up to one year and it's still extremely scary just because it's, you're out of your comfort zone now. And it's like a, sink or swim situation. If you don't swim, you're going to sink. So um, to be honest, in terms of what I did to prepare was nothing, literally nothing in terms of my preparation, because again, I went in with the wrong mindset. Um, I went in thinking that this is a, a, another technical role, because to me, envisaging, envisaging a role which was not technical was not 
you know, was not was not something feasible in my mind. So I thought, okay, real world evidence manager, what is it? You know, you look at the job description and, you know, there's a little bit of strategy thrown in there, but it's really about, you know, real world data, real world methodology and things like that. So I thought, okay, this is another technical role. It's not purely stats. It's not going to be programming or cl clinical trials. It's going to be another technical expert role in understanding real world data and real world methodology. So I went in, so I had about a month before um, I moved into the role. So I had some, some weeks off and I read all kinds of journal articles, all kinds of books um, on real world, um, real world methodology, real world data, all kinds of, you know, databases, registries, analyses. And when I went in, it was just completely, completely different. So I was going in with the, with the mindset of what and a little bit on how. Never thought about the why. And the first meeting I probably had with, you know, with the team, with the wider team was all about the first meeting was this large group meeting. Everything was about why. So why are we doing this? So there, were, there were questions about external partnerships, partnerships with the NHS, partnerships with registries, you know, the whole external data environment. Why do we need that data? And I was just so lost in that meeting. And I think at the end of that first day, I thought I had made a huge mistake because it was a completely different environment. And I think, of course, I should have prepared more, but then who's to tell you that, you know, don't focus on the background that you're coming from almost 10 years as a statistician. Now you have to think about why. So it's not just about the what and how you need to start. So nobody was there to tell me. And I, and I think, like I was saying earlier, the best teacher is your experience. So that first mm -hmm. day I knew I came back and I was like, maybe I should Google <laughs> this and you know maybe a journal article would come up but no such thing happens so you're just there and you're waiting to learn more as you go in the day so did not find a book which was my comfort zone did not find a journal article mm -hmm. unfortunate uh, but to be honest I sh the only preparation I did was the wrong one so I thought more, everything was about the what and the how and all kinds of methodology. Nobody was interested in that. Everybody was interested in how does external data add value? How does it sort of, you know, build our drugs portfolio? Everything was about that. And I, there's no journal article that explains that. So, um, yeah, in terms of, so that, that was one aspect of it. But then another thing was that I've been doing sort of public speaking for a few years now. So I started about 2017 um, that I joined a group called Toastmasters International. Mm -hmm. And they are a public speaking group. So it's a very nice, sort of, it's, it's an international organization and every country has, every city, every town has at yeah. least one Toastmasters group. Um, and I think the big thing that I learned from there, which was very essential in this, in this job that I'm doing, is when you're speaking, you speak for the audience. As a technical person, when I used to give presentations, it was what made sense in my head. And I completely disregarded the listeners. And as you know, in, um, you know, in, in any kind of setting, you know, in, a, in any kind of business setting, you, most people in the audience will at least pretend like they're understanding. So, you know, nobody wants to come across and be like, oh, I don't understand what you mean by linear regression or what that assumption means. So most people would just sit and look at me and I would think I would take that as a yes. You know, they are understanding what I'm talking about. <laughs> One thing I learned with Toastmasters was everything is about the audience. Everything is about the listener. If the listener is not understanding, even the simplest concept is, is a waste of time. So you might as well not do it because you've not added anything to their knowledge base from the start of the presentation to the end. So I think for me, it just became so, it, it kind of became so obvious that you have to simplify everything. Even if you have done a simple correlation, 
it's not enough to say correlation and you know Pearson or whatever uh, whatever method you use. You need to explain what value that correlation has added. So you need to build a story around it. Otherwise, nobody appreciates it. I thought I was, you know, a uh, statistician and, you know, technical expert. Nobody can question me, you know. <laughs> so it was just like, you know, you go into a presentation, you're there as a subject matter expert, you're the SME, you deliver your presentation and you're done. Um, you know, thinking that, you know, all of that methodology, all of that complicated jargon is going to impress the people. Unfortunately, as I discovered very hard ways, it does not. So you, you do your presentation, but then you get put in a corner. And nobody has gone back. And you're thinking, why is, you know, why is nobody, you know, talking about what I have just presented, all of that, you know, output that I have given? It's only because they don't care about the methodology. They care about the output. And if they don't understand the output, then they don't care about your entire presentation. So waste of 15 minutes of your breath and everybody else's time. It, it's crude. It's, it's, a, it's a bit unfortunate to say that, but it's, it's a fact, isn't it? It's just yep. if people don't yep. understand what you're trying to do. Um, why would they? Why would they pay any attention to you know what value you're bringing? So, which is why probably statisticians have the ceiling because you reach a point where people are just like, okay, we have heard this a thousand times, we still don't understand it. Even after you know ten years, fifteen years, we still don't understand what I you're just, bringing. I just, I just don't care anymore. Yeah, and then, then you get completely isolated in your ivory tower, and um, yes. at some point you get outsourced. Yes, that, that's a brilliant way of putting it. I think that's what happens because you are just seen as this programmer and this person who does complicated things, which we are not sure whether it's adding value. And also, it's just like a tick exercise. You know, you need to show some kind of compliance, proper stats. You know, you have yes. a statistician on board, so that's a tick box. And that's it. That's the end. So every other value piece sits with, you know, commercial or with medical affairs or whoever, and stats just gets pushed to the side. So, yeah. 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 So it's really interesting So you actually prepared a lot for your role change, just not when you thought you were doing it, but, you know, you did it outside of work in the, in the Toastmasters area. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I think, I think Toastmasters has been a lifesaver in terms of how do you speak. So even before, um, when I'm still a full-on statistician, it was uh, just understanding the fact that when you're speaking, also the thing is, uh, the great thing about Toastmasters is they give you feedback. So every time you deliver a speech, you're not supposed to be using notes. So when you're presenting, so I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, the slide needs to be so simple that I don't need to look at my notes. So that yeah. was the one thing because in Toastmasters, you're not, well, you're not encouraged to use any kind of notes or any kind of you know, reading material. You, you're supposed to talk from your knowledge. So the slides need to be completely simple that I, even if I forget about mentioning something, it's not going to be critical to that slide being, you know, uh, accessible to somebody who's listening. So for me, it was all about, you know, keeping it simple, but also the structure of your speech. It's about, you know, the introduction, the body, how do you pull people in? And I think the, the introduction bit, for example, I think that is the hook. That is what pulls people in. Even if it's the most boring stats presentation, it's the hook. So I, I've learned to basically, I would start all of my stats presentations with a joke. All of mine start with that because that just kind of wakes people up. And uh, the other time, I think it was a few weeks ago, I was doing a presentation at the company conference and I started with saying, oh, you know, I don't have time, uh, but I normally start with a joke. But, you know, we'll, we'll skip that for tonight. And the first question that came through in the presentation at the end of the presentation was, tell us the joke. <laughs> Thankfully, I had one of our stats jokes prepared, you know, about imputation and stuff. So I said it to them. But this is the, this, this is what kind of opened my eyes. The people, yeah, sure, you know, you're doing good work. You're doing great work. 
but they really just want to be engaged with the speaker. So, so there's only always be entertaining. Yeah. So, so and I and I think the opening of a presentation, the opening of a speech, is so important. It sets yeah. the tone for everything thereafter. Yeah. And so many people start with. Thanks for inviting me to be here. I'm blah, 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 blah. And I will speak about what is on the slide here. And uh, now let's go to my agenda. And by that time, everybody is asleep. Yes. I, I very much encourage people to directly start with the story. Yes. Yeah? So directly start with yesterday something really funny happened to me. Yeah. Something like such a sentence. And yeah. then you directly have the attention of your audience. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the introduction, either that is on the slide anyway, yeah? yeah, you have been introduced, or you can introduce yourself three minutes in the presentation. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's that's one of the things that I learned is like, you know, you, you pull somebody in with a story and then you do the introduction of yourself. So exactly. I think by the time people are already having that rapport with the speaker, so anything that you say, they will want to know a little bit more. But I think the one big thing with Toastmasters is that arrogance takes a big hit. You know, where you think you are a you know good speaker, you you know, everybody understands you, and then you get a dose of reality. Then no, you know, we, we don't I mean the feedback that I have received from Toastmasters is always constructive, but stuff that I never thought was true for me, because I was like, oh, you know, this this can't be right, you know. But then when that feedback keeps coming back, and unless you work on it, unless you actually action it, you're not gonna improve. So it kind of becomes clear that your your ego, your arrogance takes a little bit of a hit. And you then start understanding things need to be kept simple. You know, it's it's not all about you. When you're speaking, it's about the listener. It's not about the speaker. So stop with, you know, uh, all about how great you are. Start focusing on what the audience needs. So that's yeah, one of the yeah. big lessons. Yeah, and also in our leadership program, when we talk about the communication part, communication is only effective if it reaches the goal. And if you don't have a goal at the beginning, yes, it's a waste of time because yeah. you don't even know whether it's effective. Yeah? yeah, it's like running a trial without knowing what to measure the, the study against. Yeah, yeah? Mm -hmm. it's useless. Exactly. And so, and I think that's the first problem where people, yeah. you know, what do they want the audience to understand, believe, action on after yeah. the presentation? Yeah, exactly. You can't. Articulate that, you have a really big problem. <laughs> yes, yes. What's the point, isn't it? I think one of one thing I would recommend every statistician to do, which is you know the best way to get a dose of reality. Um, I did the stats uh, trainings for um, I think survival analysis or something for healthcare professionals in the NHS. So it was nurses and doctors, and I had kept my now this is me thinking that the survival analysis was very basic, you know, Kaplan Meyer and just just you know the stuff that you learn in like survival 101 you know yeah. and i presented it and uh, it was like about a two or three hour presentation i told them everything about sample size calculations gap in my interpretation blah blah and then the the feedback so i got feedback anonymously by um, by this uh, questionnaire and uh, most people were like you know it was kind of between average between four and five stars for everything and then the the written feedback was always oh it was too complicated the the speaker spoke too fast 
and i i would read all that and first of all i would get angry like you know how can you not understand this is so simple and then how did i speak too fast because you know you start kind of making excuses almost like you know oh i didn't have time you know this this is something you need to do a whole degree in you know you can't you can't convey this in 3 hours blah blah so you know it was all about sort of making excuses for the fact that i did not deliver what i needed to do effectively so i think the one thing that we can all do as statisticians is present formally <laughs> to uh, to healthcare professionals or to somebody who just does not know anything about stats and see if they understand it because if they don't waste of time so waste of 3 hours and the feedback just opened up my eyes i thought oh my god this is simple and yet they didn't understand so something went wrong yeah but but there's a couple of other things i think you also changed your learning style yeah so instead of learning from books and you know uh things applying for yourself and you know learning more books and reading more journals and then yeah <laughs> things like that you actually did something yeah and uh, you know um practiced it uh, got feedback on it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. took that feedback yeah. and you know in the toastmasters and and did it again yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. so um in your linkedin article you uh, described very very vividly uh, okay. <laughs> how you felt <laughs> on your first day yeah. uh, can highly recommend reading this um because i think lots of people feel that way yeah they speak about it and and it says you know still pushing through being courageous there yeah. stepping outside of your comfort zone this oh, yeah. is what we need much more on mm-hmm. uh, because these are the skills that you need to develop these are the kind of values that you need to have to Absolutely. step into this more strategic thinking oh yes yes speaking is the big one i mean just thinking about you know the business of course it it's there but i think speaking conveying effectively what you want to say that is that is the big one but yeah and the linkedin article is 100% true that is exactly what i was feeling i thought i was going to die for the first time on the stage <laughs> but uh it's i i mean at the end of the article there's a video that i put it's um, me talking about fractal geometry and that is that was one of my competition speeches and the idea was that i'm going to explain fractals in terms of life so you know how fractals just repeat and repeat yeah. that's a pattern that repeats in every level of optical zoom uh, op- optical enhancement and it's almost like you know tying in with life so i was giving examples of romanesco broccoli of you know shells and things so you see all of that in nature and that made a concept so so complicated but yet so accessible so everybody in the toastmasters they come from all backgrounds some of them are you know marketing professionals some of hr some people work in estate agencies and they all understood yeah. so i think it's uh, that's the the thing we were talking about it's about the audience it's not about user could I have talked about fractal geometry in the way we know but um, it's just about making it accessible to who's listening mm. so now you're one year or about one year into real world evidence so What have you learned in this one year about the business oh. that you weren't knowing before? I think so much, so much that I've learned. I think this whole year has been a whirlwind of just information coming in from every side. The one big thing personally that I have learned is the importance of speaking to other people. Mm. So it's not enough just to be sort of understanding what you are bringing to the table. 
it was just when I started listening to other people. So initially it was my, you know, my, let's say my manager telling me, you know, talk to this person, talk to that person in, you know, uh, in health economics or talk to that person who is a, you know, patient access manager. And I was thinking, why, why do I need to, you know, this is real world evidence. I know all about the databases. I know all about how do you uh, analyze these things? Why do I need to talk to, you know, market access or patient access or commercial? Why? And I think it's when I spoke to them, because they are not, they're not, you know, uh, highly technical in that sense that their language is very accessible. When they explained to me, my whole world just, I think, opened up. It was like an explosion of everything just starting to make sense, so like different cells starting to, you know, light up in my brain. And I think it was just about speaking to people. So the one thing that I have, one thing I've learned is the importance of what other people bring uh, mm-hmm. to the table uh, over and above what you're bringing. But in the process, you also figure out what you brought when you were a statistician. You know, you start seeing your importance. But then when you think back in hindsight, you think there was so much more that you could have done. You could have really, you know, um, you, you could have really promoted stats as adding value, you could have really done so much more and you could have been sort of sitting at that table, uh, that final product launch meeting and not be getting bored because you think this is beyond your remit and you could have brought so much off stats and how that would have been part of the portfolio of the drug that was now about to be launched. Um, so you think back, think back in hindsight and I think my advice to anyone who wants to transition out is to start speaking, just set up one-to-ones. I know we are introverts, uh, but we just need to just you know, maybe once every month to start setting up a one-to-one with somebody you don't know and just talk to them. And it has opened up so much in, in, my, uh, in my brain that I've understood so much more than I would have in books. That's the one big thing I've learned is the importance of the team. Uh, and that teaches you everything. Value and my questions were always the same. What do you do? You know, why are you here? <laughs> so they would yeah, just that, These are really good questions. And that's also a skill, yeah, to yeah. listen. Yes. To really listen and to, to ask these questions and to send to, you know, go in with an open mind and really want to understand where the other person is coming from. Yes. Um, and not just kind of, how can you help me to do my job better? But, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's about like, how, how can I help you and how could we sort of collaborate? That's something as statisticians we just don't do, isn't it? Don't you find it funny? Like, I don't know how it is at your, at your place. Like statisticians tend to sit together and we just yeah. talk to each other, isn't it? So we just never expand. So when we go for lunch, uh, I would always go with my stats friends and, you know, we would talk about stats and we would talk about not understanding what these other big meetings were all about and, and you know, just not seeing the value in them. So you kind of, it's about who you're surrounded with, isn't it? So if you're surrounded with statisticians who are not somebody like you, for example, who's, you know, not, not a traditional statistician in that sense, you, you never grow. So I think it's important to, you know, it's great to have your friends, but it's important to step out of that little circle. Yeah. Yeah. The networking piece is, is, is really, really important. Yes. Yeah, these topics really all come together. Yeah. Because if you listen, if you can, uh, communicate if you can articulate then you understand where the value is created yeah what is the problem that we are solving what yeah. are you know why is that then we need to do these kind of different things mm-hmm. who's contributing all there yeah is that a you know real world evidence solution or is it a clinical trial solution or mm-hmm. is it you know something completely different and what is all the kind of how does that have an impact on 
the commercial value of the drug? How does it impact on the different market access questions around yes. the world? Um, mm -hmm. How does that have an impact on, you know, our budget, or on our timelines, yes. on, you know, all these different uh, stakeholders? And, you know, in the end, what's really the value that we deliver to the patient? Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Um, why should a patient in her discussion with a physician talk about choosing this therapy instead yes. of something else? Mm -hmm. And through the listening, presenting, networking, being a team member, all these things, I think, can statisticians do already within their Yes, exactly. Functions. Yeah. When they, you know, go around the excuses that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm too busy. Yes. I don't have time. Mm -hmm. This is not my remit. This is not my job. Uh, I'm not promoted based on this. This yes. is not our, how I'm measured. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. So there's millions of excuses around it. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast for quite some time, you probably know that I sometimes give some tough love <laughs> for statisticians because I think this is, you know, is really, really important to sometimes kind of face the limitations of our functions. Yeah. And it's so common across lots of different companies. Yeah? Mm -hmm. so some companies really have, but more very often kind of top-down, just you need to lead more. Yeah? Yeah. What does it mean, lead more? Or <laughs> think more strategically. What does yeah. that mean? Yeah? Yeah. And um, if... And that's again kind of the communication lag. Yeah. Yes. If you, if you're a leader and you communicate in such a way that nobody understands you of yeah. your audience, then you're probably not a good leader. That, that's true. A leader who nobody listens to. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. That was an awesome discussion. And yeah. It's great to have a listener on this podcast because uh, therefore you can give back to the, uh, the effective statistician community that yes. all the other listeners. It was really nice to again chat with you and I hope, uh, I'm pretty sure we'll chat again in the future. Thank you so much, Alex. It was amazing talking to you again. It's been a while since we met at PSI. So um, hopefully whenever, whenever PSI go back uh, to meeting for the conferences face-to-face, -face, uh, we, should, we should definitely uh, catch up then. But yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. And I hope you know, it does help a statistician somewhere who's thinking of transitioning out um, you know, exactly what they need to do. Literally, it's just about communication with yourself, with your audience, with others, and just you know, communicating with the business, isn't it? Like, Yeah. It's a business ultimately. So, <laughs> that is, these are great final words. I was just about to say that I missed kind of what's, what's your final point, but you made it very, very good. Oh. <laughs> like a good communicator. <laughs> yes, like you need to have that tying in conclusion. It needs to not be left loose, you know? <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you, Alex. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Now we talked a lot about thinking more strategically, acting more strategically and how presentation skills 
can help you to become a more effective statistician. And there's lots of related content on the Effective Statistician homepage. So search there for other episodes that might go in, you know, very nice complementary ways to this episode. And you will find surely a lot of other things there. Now having more than 150 episodes there, and there's surely something that you maybe haven't listened to if you're not a long-term listener, like a couple of the others. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.